Are you ready to dive back into the Word of God? Psalm 13, it's only six verses, but man, it's a treasure. If you're ever feeling depressed, you're reeling in despair, Psalm 13 is for you because it shows us how to go from despair to delight, from fear to faith, and from being really down in the dumps to really having that fellowship with God and and restoration of your soul. So let's pray. Father God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your word. God, if you left us alone uh, at the mercy of our own feelings and worldly logic and human understanding, we would be lost and helpless and hopeless. But we have your Holy Spirit And we have your word. So help us prepare our hearts, open the eyes of our understanding. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So yeah, sometimes Christians can have unrealistic, unbiblical expectations of what their Christian life should look like. You want it to go right, you pray about it, you believe God for it, but it goes left. And you could easily shipwreck your faith if you have these kinds of unrealistic expectations, one that's super common is like we come to God and he takes away all of our problems. He waves the proverbial magic wand and everything is wonderful. And uh, that really isn't the case. As Jesus warned us, he said, you live in a fallen world that's under the power of the evil one. This is First John 5. Creation has been cursed and is coming apart at the seams, Romans chapter 8. And even your own heart will try to sabotage your Christian life by the deceitfulness of sin, our wicked hearts within that are not redeemed. We know that the Holy Spirit comes in. He's the only good thing in there, really, in fallen man. And so what did we expect in circumstances like that. A bed of roses? Of course not. Bible heroes, our Lord Jesus Christ was acquainted with suffering, familiar with grief, a man of sorrows, right? That's the Lord, and many Bible heroes had to suffer as well. And of course, there was untold blessings involved as well. So it's not just about suffering and the cross. There's resurrection and life, and character development, and the advancement of the gospel. God has a host of, for every twinge of pain in the child of God's life, there's a hundred blessings intended. And so that's not how it always feels, but that's the way the Bible says it is. And so uh, the Lord promised that we would have trouble, but he said, in me you can have peace because I have overcome the world, so take heart. But that's not where our emotions are when we're feeling pain and disappointment and despair. The Lord told Israel 
in Isaiah chapter 43. He says, listen to me, says the Lord. I'm the one who created you. I'm the one who formed you in your mother's womb. Stop being afraid. You belong to me. When you go through the deep waters, I'll be with you. When you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. Now, most Christians, we know those verses and we believe them. We got it in our heads. But when the winds are blowing and the shutters are being torn from your house, the heart often needs a little more convincing. The challenge, of course, is that we usually define the condition of our well-being by our feelings and we walk by sight instead of by faith the way God wants us to. We lean on our own understanding when he said, no, don't do that, but trust in the Lord with all your heart. Your own understanding can sometimes be right on and sometimes can really lead you astray. So that's what's happening to David. He's here in Psalm 13. He's called the man after God's own heart, and he will soon be king of Israel, the greatest king ever. And from him comes the Christ. Through Mary, he's biologically related. He is times 24 or so uh, grandchildren from King David through Mary by blood. And so that's amazing. Uh, but he is in undergoing right now intense suffering and finds himself in the pit of despair and talking like a fool. But fortunately for us, he's keeping a journal, a prayer journal of his highs and his lows. He's brutally honest about it. And God inspires him to write these poems. They're called Psalms from the word to pluck the harp. That's where the Greek psalm comes from. And they became Israel's worship songs. And so um, interesting thing about the ones where he's so honest talking about how he feels, devastated and even abandoned by God, um, he never stays there. There are multiple psalms like this, Psalm 13, but he never stays down. By the end of the psalm, because of a shift of focus from the problem to the Lord's promises, faith comes in the presence of God, and now it's a new day. He's out of the nosedive, he's pulling up, and things are a lot brighter. So if you've ever wanted to move from despair to a better place, pay attention to Psalm 13. Here it is on the screen. We'll start with the nosedive. How long, how long, God, are you going to forget about me forever? That's what it feels like. How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my own thoughts every day, day in and out, have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy, the trouble, the adversity, the adversary triumph over me? Now he moves into a better place, some prayer. Look on me and answer, O Lord my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. I'm going to die. My enemy will say I've overcome him and my foes will gloat when I fall. And now suddenly, wow, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord 
for he has been good to me. Wow. I mean, that's like zero to 60 in what, one second or less? How do you do that? Well, nothing's impossible with God. And sometimes this process that we're going to talk about from despair to delight, from fear to faith, it may take some time. And not just in six verses, it may take six months or six years or six days or six seconds. A lot, has to, to, a lot depends on how we respond in our circumstances, whether we're cooperating with what's biblical or not. And so, yeah, if we're honest, every believer is going to say that we've been there. The how long and God have you forgotten all about me thing. And if you've never experienced that, hang on, uh, because you will if you're a person after God's own heart. If you want to go deep, if you want to be like Christ at all, if you want God to change you, you're going to have to admit uh, he uses suffering. He really does. That's why James says, hey, count it joy because you're not just suffering to suffer. You're suffering with a benefit. You're suffering for a purpose that your character will be made whole. You'll be mature. You'll, you'll be not lacking anything as far as your character goes. And so he says, in this you can rejoice. Of course, you're, you don't say you're happy when you're suffering. You don't walk around going, oh, I'm so grateful I'm in pain. No, you're sorrowful, but we grieve in the way that the world does not grieve. We grieve in a different way. We grieve with hope, and we know. And so here we've got three things to talk about. His complaint in verses 1 and 2, which will appear now for you, and then his cry, his petition to God in verses 3 and 4. We'll get to that. And then the comfort um, where he's, he ends up singing. And uh, that's amazing in the closing two verses, 5 and 6. Okay, so let's talk about the complaint. There's a lot packed into this complaint. Um, how long, O oh Lord? That's where he starts. So first of all, before he gets to his list of how God has failed him and not doing his job properly, uh, before he gets to that, he wants God to know, I'm irritated in your schedule, that you're letting this thing, though I pray about it, though I've endured, though I, you know how I feel about this, but you're letting it go on what, what seems forever, God. So, you know, he's saying, hurry up, God. You're taking too long to fix this thing. I prayed in faith in Jesus' name, and then I said, Siri, set a timer for five minutes. <laughs> and the five-minute ping went off like eight years ago. <clears throat> eight years David is in this particular nightmare. I'll tell you about it coming up. But he's in a very serious situation almost a decade and so, yeah. Now, first of all, that God lets us express ourselves to him like this, that's pretty amazing to me. Without any fear of reprisal, he can look up and say, you know what? You're not doing your job. Where are you? I'm looking for you. Not only did, are you neglecting me passively, but you are uh, actively turning away from me. How can you call yourself a God of all compassion and I cry out to you and you're hiding your face on purpose? Now, I'm just amazed that, you know, God in his grace allows us to lodge a complaint as misguided and meritless 
as any complaint to a perfect God, perfect in love, perfect in compassion, perfect in goodness, perfect in the choices for our lives. How dare we, right? I was imagining, you know, on Yelp or some online review that you can lodge your complaint, right? You leave your one star, then you complain, and then sometimes you get the proprietor's remarks, and I love hearing them. Dear Doris, we're so sorry that our pillows weren't soft enough for you <laughs> and that it rained on your vacation. <clears throat> like they could help that, Doris. Uh, but yeah, they, they lay the one star and they complain. David has laid the one star right now. God, you get one star. You're forgetting me. You're busy helping other people you like better than me. And you've picked up and moved away like all my other friends who are moving to Tennessee without me. <laughs> Everyone here is moving to Tennessee. So you know. Or Idaho. Or wherever. Just fill in the blank. But just out of California. <clears throat> so God, yeah. So you, you don't score very high right now. And I'm wondering if the proprietor would say, actually, who has the complaint? Couldn't I say, David, how long, oh, David, will you forget me forever? Will you say you're too busy to spend time with me forever? Will you just go to your phone before you go to your Bible? How long must I have sorrow in my heart because I watch you uh, go after your idols that you love more than me because you bow down to them before you bow down to me? How long do I have to wrestle with this? What's going on with the guy after my own heart? But yet, you know, you're str strutting on the roof. You're looking where you shouldn't be looking. How long should I have to deal with this? Hmm. But God doesn't do that, does he? God is so gracious to allow us to be real with him and say, hey, it hurts. And he knows that hope deferred makes the heart sick. Proverbs so he understands when we're heartsick, we say crazy things. When we're in pain, we say things that we don't really believe to be true, but we're just kind of kind of wounded animals. We lash out a little bit, and God can take it. And so he does that, and uh, God understands. Um, one writer said, hope deferred does indeed make the heart sick, but it can also make the spirit strong and faith more robust, and God can use it to bring about beautiful things in our lives, <clears throat> depending on how we respond. <clears throat> how else does God uh, work endurance in us? But he, he defers the hope. And then when he's worked in our hearts what he's purposed to do, then a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. So there's always resurrection after the time of suffering for the Christian because he promises that. <clears throat> and so at the moment where uh, hope is deferred for King David or soon to be king, let me remind you what happened with this kid. He gets a promise from God. He's just minding his own business. He's a teenager. He's a good kid out there taking care of the sheep. And Samuel comes and goes, guess what? You're going to be the next king. This, this nobody. And uh, anoints him with oil. Now he's got a promise. Next chapter, 
He finds himself on the front lines. He's 18 years old or so. He didn't plan to be in the war. He can't fight until he's 20. But dad sent him in and said, bring these raisins and bread to your brothers who are fighting the battle. So he says, yes, sir. He goes out. And Goliath happens to be taunting at the time. So providentially, through God's sovereignty, David hears him and says, who's going to face him? He's saying, hey, let's just two of us go at it, and whoever wins, wins for the whole team. And he says, I'll do it. No one's going to do it, I'll do it. And he convinces King Saul to let him do it. And he goes out with his slingshot, and he says, you've got a big spear. He goes, but I've got a big God, and you're going down. Boom. The giant goes down, and the, and the video goes viral. <laughs> and he becomes famous. He's a celebrity. The women love him. They write songs about him. And King Saul heard one of the songs. After he inducted him into the army, he says, dude, I could use a guy like you. You know, come on into the army, and I'll give you my daughter to marry. And he did. Now he's the king's son-in-law. Things are looking good. Not until the ladies start bringing out the tambourine, and as they're coming in from the battlefield, Saul's listening, and it says, Saul has slain his thousands. And Saul's like, yeah, that's me. And David, his tens of thousands. Saul says, <clears throat> looks at David, you're going to die. And spends eight years with demonic, frenzied, obsessive, one mind. I will not rest until I kill him. And he has a whole army, an entire army. You know how in Psalm 27 he says, though an army besiege me, still I will not. Yeah, who's got an entire army after you? He did. Innocent. He has this promise of God. And it's gone on not a week, not a year, not two years. In the rainy season, in holes in the ground, third year, fourth year, where I can't have the festivals with my family, my wife. Six years, seven years, I go to bed praying. I wake up, it's still there. Where are you? You're forgetting me. You're abandoning me. You're hiding your face from me. The answer to how long, David, one writer, said, until God has accomplished his good purposes in you and in Israel and in his kingdom, He's working. He's got to get people in place. He's, got, he's doing something. You just got to hold on. Noah, on that cruise, the 40 days and 40 nights, <laughs> with all the animals, right? They, you know they wanted out. And do you think he was just on the boat for 40 days and 40 nights? My friends, he was on the boat for a year. Did you know that? A year in that boat with those animals. You know one of the boys was like, how long, how long, dad? How long, dad? How long? I could hear God saying, you want to know how long? Well, go ahead and try to get out at month six. I hope you can swim. Right, to extricate yourself from a God-ordained problem where God is working, to get yourself out of it, outside of God's will, 
is a dangerous thing to do. You better, it would be better for all of us to suffer in God's will than to have pleasure outside of it. Amen? Amen. And so the answer to your question is how long? And by the way, you know, sometimes we can drag our feet and we can be be so miserable and just kind of say, I'm angry and I'm going to stay in in verses 1 and 2 for a while. And God's like, okay. We could have gone forward a little bit faster, but, you know, you're not willing. So... Yeah, so we've got a lot, you know. The hotter the flame, the purer the gold. God is seldom early, never late, but always on time. So remember that, okay? Uh, and, And I love this, you know, you've forgotten all about me, but here's what God says to Jerusalem, to the Jews there. You guys say the Lord has deserted us. The Lord has forgotten us. He says, first person to his people, never can a mother forget the nursing child at her breast? Can she feel no love for the child she has given birth to? But even if that were possible, and sadly it is, I will never forget you. I have engraved your name on the palm of my hands. So, O oh foolish heart, says Charles Spurgeon, that we would accuse the all-knowing one of forgetting, the one whose name is love, of being unloving. It just can feel whatever you want to feel, but the facts are the facts. And faith helps you to go from erroneous, fickle feelings to the truth. And Jesus said, when you know the truth, your heart's going to be set free. Um, I will tell you, you know, when he says you're actively forsaking me, I will tell you God has forsaken one person on the planet. It's only one. That was his son. You'll recall Jesus, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And maybe a voice would say, because... I don't want to ever forsake David and those like David who put their trust in me. So one was forsaken. One was abandoned. One had God hide his face from him. But anybody, especially in his son, if he loved us before we were in Christ, how much now that we're reconciled? No, my friend, God will never uh, forsake you. Quick story. You're the only service that's getting it because it just popped into my head. And I've got, uh, you know, everybody, like everybody, you feel like maybe God has forsaken you or given up on you. And I I struggle with sensing his presence sometimes. God knows that. So we were in India, and uh, we were at an orphanage. I told you this before. And at the door, they greeted all the team with a wrapped present. So we just took the present. We walked in, and they had seven or eight chairs facing the kids. And we all took our places in the chairs with our wrapped gifts on our laps. And uh, one by one, we were given the microphone to encourage them. And so I'm preparing, what should I say, what should I say? Because boom, 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 it's my turn. The mic gets handed to me. 
And I'm like, share scripture, share scripture. And I say, okay, kids, I'm going to teach you a scripture. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And so I said, can you guys say that? Say it with me. Never will I leave you. The cutest thing ever. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. I said, let's try to memorize that. So over and over and over. And then I said, hit it. And they all said, after about five minutes of that, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you, says the Lord. Right. We get back to the room. And I opened up the plaque. And I said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. I just got the goosebumps again. How does he do that? They were all different plaques with different scriptures. But I got that one. And God is like, listen up. You think you're lost in this world of 7 billion people? I'm like right here all the time. Wherever you turn, there I am. Right there. I don't, I don't lose track of a sparrow. And I didn't die for the little birds with the feathers on them. I didn't. I can make another one like that. It's not a problem. But you? Eternal. Blood-bought. Yeah, I don't, I don't forget about you. Um, yeah, so, uh, yes, next comes uh, the cry for help. And one writer said, this is a better use of your words and breath instead of listing all, the, all your problems and why God should feel sorry for you and why God isn't really doing it the right way, spend your breath affirming all the good things. And then not only that, but ask him for help. Now, here's the thing about people. I'm kind of angry with God right now. Does it make sense to offend or to, to, to become hostile to the only one who can really save you? The one who is waiting to say, hey, let me help you out of this thing. You're like, oh, I'm mad at him. Don't just get mad at anybody else. But don't get mad at your one lifeline. Right? I'm just, I threw that in for free, you guys. <laughs> okay, Spencer, yeah. Look on me and answer, oh, Lord, my God, give light to my eyes or I'll sleep in death. He's saying, look, I could die while I'm sleeping because this madman will find me when I'm asleep and kill me. Or I'm just going to die of this whole thing, but I've lost the will to live. I just can't do it anymore. I just, I don't want to be alive anymore. And, and another thing, <clears throat> when I do die, my enemy will say, I've overcome him. I'm so happy he's dead. I'm, I'm kind of find a satisfaction and gloat when I fall. So don't let that happen, God. So yeah, this is no minor problem. He's, David's not coming undone because somebody unfriended him on Facebook, uh, like some Christians. You know, they don't get the promotion, and they're like not speaking to God for you know. Where have you been? I haven't seen you at church. I'm taking a break right now. Well, yeah, I'm really going through something terrible happened. You know, I didn't get invited to this big party. That's kind of telling about the depth of character or the genuineness of your faith. Because Christians who are born again don't come undone. Even being martyred. They sing. Usually they sing all the way to the flame. Uh, and yeah, so... Yeah, not without some fear and trembling, I'm sure. 
like we see even here. Well, he's barking up the right tree. He's saying, light of the world, the light's gone out. And you're the maker of my soul. You're the maker of my spirit. You make me lie down in green pastures. You restore my soul because you made my soul. And the greatest misery of all is sensing that God is distant. We don't even realize how important the the sense of God is to us. Because he is, as John chapter 1 says, he's the light of every man. If someone's got a spirit in him, he's connected to God more intimately than you would know. Not in a saving way, but there's a sense even of the unbeliever has of God himself. And the real misery of hell is not the flame. It's in the sense of being away from him, life, the source of that energy you have in you, where do you think that's coming from? It's coming because we're one with him. And David's saying, I can feel you, I can feel you, I'm freaking out. He says, I can restore that. And he says, I, I need you to restore that. You know. And then he says something very interesting. He says, I really don't, if you let my enemy prevail, if you let me lose this battle, what are people going to think? They're going to taunt and they're going to gloat. I just don't want them to have that satisfaction of seeing this get the best of me and win. Now, let me tell you this quick story. Um, there's this pastor who got COVID. Um, yeah, he was suffering a lot. He, he, got, was, he got hospitalized uh, yeah, maybe you know him. <laughs> and he was like, while he was suffering, and his family suffering, and the church suffering, the local paper ran a hit piece on him and his church with lies, erroneous statements, false statements, slander, disgruntled people, nameless sources, hearsay. Classless in that while the guy's suffering and in the hospital, not able to answer or do anything like that. And here's what he prayed. He's laying intubated. He's aware. Or perhaps I had been, or he, (laughs) (laughs) been extubated because somehow I knew about it. So probably it was after after the tube came out. And here's what I prayed. God, please, I beg you, don't let me die. I'd be happy to see you. I'd be glad. I know you'll take care of my family and the church, but I can't handle the comment section in the paper filled with, aha, got what he deserved. You know, leading the people like that and opening the church and but he changed his mind now. And, you know, all of the sarcastic gloating. How is this going to look to the church? And ultimately, not just me, but I'm connected to you. So, so for that reason, I pray that you would rob them of the delight and satisfaction of writing a piece with the headline, Local Pastor Succumbs to Virus He Took Lightly. 
I said, please, God. Over and over again, that was my prayer. Here I am. Oh, there's no headlines today. Oh, I'm sorry. There's just no, nothing to write about. What are you going to write about? Me? <laughs> yeah, so there you go. And, you know, I'm not trying to be cocky, although I do have a problem with that, because I confess to my friends. But, yeah, that's what he's saying. He's saying, kind of like Moses did in the wilderness when God said, you know what, I'm done with them. This is the 10th time. They prefer worshiping drunken and before calves. I'm just going to do away with them. We'll start all over again. It'll be good. Step aside. And Moses says, oh, no, what will people think? The Egyptians. See, it's the same kind of thing. Uh, you can't do that because in the Egyptian times, in the comment section, it'll say, remember those crazy Hebrews? Their God couldn't sustain them, their so-called powerful God, because we found all their bodies in the wilderness. So Moses says, you just, yeah, no. We have to be doing things that will prevent that kind of outward, you know, gloating. And so, yeah, God is kind, and he appreciated uh, that sentiment for sure. Let's finish up the last two verses, then we're done. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart has joy. I'm rejoicing in salvation, my salvation. And I'm going to sing of the Lord, for you've been good to me. Gracious, bountiful, generous, open-handed. That's what that word means. So somewhere in David's ordeal, he got tired of always talking about the problem. Stinking thinking, where, you know, rehearsing all the terrible things about it, all the pity party and all of that. And he, and he realized, this is getting me nowhere. So why don't I repent? The word but is repentance. It's a however. Here's how I feel, God. This is what's going on. I'm crying out to you, but you know what? I know your, your love is unfailing because you're the God of love. And I know salvation is something that Saul can't touch. And if I start listing all the benefits of my salvation, I'm going to be with you forever. This life is quick. It's over. Then I have, quote, to quote David from another psalm, eternal pleasures at your right hand forevermore await me. Jesus said you're co-heirs with me. Co-heirs with Jesus? Co-heirs. Co-heirs. With the Son of God? The Son of God owns everything. So he's saying you're co-heirs. That means we share exactly. So when wherever Jesus is, we are. If he's judging, we're judging. When he returns, we return with him. Where he is, we will always be forevermore. And he says, when I think about that, I, I have joy. So, you know, the couple goes out. They start talking about their son, their wayward son, or their money problems, or somebody's got a disease. Or, and that's all they talk about the whole ride. You come home, you're more depressed. How about getting in the car and saying, our problem, the thing, is going to be here when we get back. So let's start a list of all our favorite things, the things that God has done for us, the things, the good things, the happiest moments of your life. You start. And then she says, you know, when you propose to me, suddenly... You're starting to want to sing instead of feel sorry for yourself. 
And this is what's happening here. He realizes that God has been good to him and given him precious promises and that he should think like that. It's all about focus. Peter learned that on the storm-tossed sea, didn't he? He's, the, he's doing his thing. God's calling him. He's, he's living the Christian life, which is miraculous. But the second he starts to look at the problem, he starts to sink in despair, right? Keep the gaze on the Lord, the presence, the prayer, the word of God, and believe it. And say, you know what? You know what he's doing here? He's taking every thought captive and making it obedient to Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. He's lassoing all of the feelings that are, some of them are, are genuine and true. But he's taking hold of them and saying, there's a higher truth. And it's God's promises, God's reality. The Lord is coming back. He's going to rescue me. And I'm going to live forever with him. And I'm going to see the one who made me. And in that joy, he starts to sing. Now, we were told, stand on the blue line, cover all your faces. Which I'm not against covering your face, but this is what we were told. Cover all of your faces. Stand on the blue line in the corner and don't sing. Don't even think about it. No singing. You stand there. No, don't, no, no greeting each other. No touching. When you start rehearsing the mercies of God and the goodness of God and how he treats you and your wonderful hope, you, after what you've done and what you've done as a Christian, and still it's good, then you just have to sing. Sorry, I just have to sing. I just have to not stand on the blue line. Sorry, I just have to be free to worship my Lord. So I picture David now as we close in the hole dirty clothes, not smelling real good, been a long time, hungry, and just a disaster, matted hair, ungroomed, just looks like a crazy man. And then I, I hear this, it is well with my soul. I'm like, what? Oh, David must have died. No, I mean, Saul must have died to get him singing. Oh, no, no, Saul's still alive. Oh, the army, the army's gone. Oh, no, no, we, I hear them. I hear the footsteps, they're there. Well, what's changed? Well, my circumstance hasn't changed, but my heart. My heart has changed. The way I'm thinking has changed. And God takes that and supernaturally comes in and lifts us to where he is, where there's joy and hope and peace and confidence. Let's pray. God, thank you for your love. Thank you that you prevail. Thank you that we overcome in you. That even though we're, yeah, we live quiet lives of desperation, most of us, and uh, you said we will overcome because we have faith in the Son of God. So we're destined to overcome, help us to think about all those good things and be lifted by your spirit as well. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.